Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the official holiday podcast for 15-foot-tall wizards who drive flying snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? It is the day before Independence Day, so we are talking about the absolute bonkers endgame of the Rankin-Bass Cinematic Universe. From 1979, it's Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. I am formerly reduced to a puddle and then brought back to life, but only up to my chest, Mike Westfall. And joining me once again is the human embodiment of the Aurora Borealis at this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely on my podcast. It's Brandon Medley. Hey, Brandon. Mike, every day is like Christmas as long as I'm podcasting with you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Even the 4th or 3rd of July, excuse me. But what's 4th weekend without some steamed hams? So believe it or not, this is really only the second time I've watched this. I've only watched it once before. It me somehow, too. Okay, it somehow flew under my radar as a kid. I discovered it in my 20s. Me? No, I don't think I was in my 30s by the time I saw it. Oh, wow. I think I was 30 because I think it was 2013 when I saw this for the first time. Okay. Yeah. And this is one we've been teasing quite a bit for the last few years, and you've described it as the Avengers of Christmas specials, and it's almost eerie how accurate that is. Yeah, except in my memory of this, there was a lot more crossover from some of the lesser Rankin-Bass specials than are actually here. There is a lot of that, but for some reason, I think just maybe some of the similarities to other characters had me in my memory thinking that they were the same characters. Possibly. But anyway, we'll get to that. You know who throws it off? Jack Frost shows up at the end, and it's the Jack Frost we just talked about from Frosty's Winter Wonderland, but he looks a lot like the Jack Frost from his own Rankin-Bass special, which actually comes after this chronologically. So I feel like that might have thrown me off. But this premiered November 25th, 1979, the Sunday after Thanksgiving on ABC. I forgot this was Rankin-Bass's longest special, surpassing an hour and a half at 98 minutes. Yes, that's even longer than Mad Monster Party. It's so long. So long. Um, I... Did not know this until we were preparing for the show today, but the reason it's so long is because it was made to be released theatrically following Mad Monster Party. And what was released theatrically overseas in the summer of 1979, but it did very poorly and was pulled after only two or three weeks in the theaters. And they quickly scratched their plan for a theatrical release in the U.S. and aired it on television instead. Oh, I didn't I didn't see that it didn't come out in the US at all. Okay. That was a very short run in theaters then. Yeah. Um now I say that because I read that somewhere today. But now that I was trying to find it again as we were trying to record, it's not it's not on the Wikipedia page or the Christmas specials wiki, but somewhere online today I read that. It got snapped out of existence. Like we start this special and again with the Avengers similarities right down to Rudolph not feeling so good as we start this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we open and Rudolph and his it's his noisier nose from Shiny New Year. He immediately shouts, "Hey, Frosty!" and they shake hands and comment on what a great June day it is. A positively balmy 10 below. This is the last appearance of Billy Mae Richards as Rudolph and Jackie Vernon as Frosty, but we immediately establish Frosty's a dad to Millie and Chili. Millie has inherited her mother's moppy hair, sorry, coiffure, and Chili is a cold pun. And the other thing that we notice immediately about Frosty is he's in Animagic now. Yes! So this is a stop-motion Feature and uh, they decided to bring it to 3D to Rudolph's side. And Mike, I have expressed my displeasure for the previous, especially the original Frosty animated yes. special. 
And I've never particularly liked the character designs, um, even though I do think that they are probably one of the stronger aspects of the special um, over the story. Yeah. But I, you know, I said that I liked the character design on Frosty better in Winter Wonderland than the original. But this is by far my favorite version of Frosty. Not just the fact that he's in Animagic, but I like his design better. He, he's a little more squat, rounder. Um, his face is more express. Um, expressive may not be the right word, but more warm and cartoony. Um, the the hat and scarf are different, and the corncob pipe. Like it all, just he's got a different look. Um, he's gone for more orange tone rather than the black. The whole family has the yellow and orange going. They got a theme going, and it it, it pops. Yeah, and um. But I really like this a lot better. Good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. So Frosty's kids call Rudolph Uncle Rudolph. Brandon, did you have friends of your parents used to call uncle or aunt? No, my parents didn't have friends. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I that no, that's not entirely true. But there was never anybody first of all, I can't think of who of my parents' friends would have been close enough that we would have even done that. But that always bothered me as a kid and still bothers me now which is surprising because i'm a big fan of the concept of found family and choosing their own family but something about calling people aunt or uncle when they're not your aunt or uncle has always just been a little pet peeve of mine and it's one of those things that makes no difference whatsoever to my life whether someone does that or not it's just you know we have those (laughs) little things and that's always been one of mine Okay, I definitely didn't do this either. I know it's not uncommon. It did strike me as weird the first time I came across it. But I got our kids just call our adult friends either by their first name or more often than not their teacher. So they have to uh, go Mr. or Ms. So, well, I that's what our like, I don't have kids myself, but a lot of our friends have kids and they they just call us by our names. But even some that like my wife's best friend and they their kid, they have a kid and their extended family lives far off. So we always kind of say like, well, we we play the aunt and uncle role to their kid, but she still doesn't call us aunt or uncle. And I wouldn't want her to because, again, that's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. But right here is when Rudolph's nose starts to lose power all of a sudden. They start with I don't feel so good. That's how they open this credits montage. And then we cut to Santa and his castle, and it's Mickey Rooney Santa. Now, I haven't gotten into that origin story yet on this podcast, but I figured he's not even in the title of this. It can wait. He's explaining what caused Rudolph's nose to go out, started long even before he himself came to the North Pole, and we're introduced to our antagonist, King Winterbolt. And it's our pal, Paul Freeze. Winterbolt can't wait to see what's been going on while I've been resting. <laughs> and King Winterbolt definitely looks like he could have been in the later Rankin-Bass special, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. He's very Lord of the Rings-ish. He would not feel out of place there. Oh, yeah. I love Winterbolt. I'm glad he... Paul Freeze uses his ghost host cackle. It's great. He's, yeah, he's a good villain. And that, I forget the name, but the ice wall thing that he talks to. Oh, man, it's uh, it's also very scary looking. Like, Yes, it's the genie of the ice scepter. He's got an ice scepter and it shoots little ice lasers. And he can also summon this giant towering genie from it. Um. That's a thing. Yeah, this guy is largely responsible for what makes this special so out there. He is absolutely the MVP of this special. Well, and Lady Boreal, who also looks like she could have come from the Life and Adventures of Santa. <laughs> yeah, she could She is also, like, they're the, if you took them out and just had Rudolph and Frosty and the other characters they encounter, it would not seem that wacky and wild but put those two in there and it all of a sudden becomes much more metal 
It really does. Yeah, our, our pal Bayou Babylon had that whole article about how The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus is the most metal Christmas special. And he's not wrong, but this is a contender. Yeah, it's definitely got um it's it's like a mashup of that of that style of Life and Adventures of Santa Claus with the more traditional Rankin Bass style of Christmas special, where they're trying to take it elevated to this more mythological, high fantasy type stuff. Yeah, this is 1979. So by then, like Rudolph's 15 years old by this point, the special. So, so it's time for a retcon, which we sort of get here in just a second. We do, yeah. <laughs> so before Santa Claus shows up in the North Pole, Winterbold is the tyrant king of the North Pole until he's put to sleep by Lady Boreal, queen of the Northern Lights, who shows up in a beam of light and an Elsa dress. Uh, Lady Boreal is voiced by Nellie Bellflower. For years I have seen your malevolent cruelty, and now I take human form to command thee, stop this tyranny at once. Brandon, did anything catch your eye of note in Nellie Bellflower's resume? I didn't look at her resume. Okay. She's not linked on the on the wiki for some reason. That's why She's not? No. I looked her up on INDB, so I, having watched many a Happy Days marathon on Nick at Night, know she was briefly engaged to Fonzie until she was ashamed when he discovered that she was the Lone Stripper, a Lone Ranger-themed dancer at a strip club. (laughs) So that was an episode. Uh, Nellie Bellflower was also Eowyn in Rankin-Bass's version of The Return of the King. She was Princess Ariel in the cartoon Thundar the Barbarian, and later was an Oscar-nominated producer of the movie Finding Neverland. Oh. That's a jump. Well, not really. Yeah. It's Hollywood, but awesome little way that ended. So Lady Boreal magics Winterbold into a coma. And I guess he's got this pair of giant pet dragons, two very nicely animated even compared to everything else in this special, I, I don't know if it's the strobe light effect that they have going on, but something about his giant dragons seem like they're differently animated than everything else. They fall asleep, too. Uh, and while he's sleeping and well after he's forgotten about, Santa moves in nearby and with him around, Lady Boreal's human form begins to weaken and she reverts back to just being the Northern Lights. And that causes Winterbolt to wake up again. He doesn't like that he has a new neighbor and to figure out how to get rid of him, he summons this giant genie of the ice scepter. And I didn't recognize the voice at first, but according to Wikipedia, it's Thurl Ravenscroft. Next Christmas Eve, have the snow dragons create a storm of ice and fog, the likes of which the North has never seen. Yeah. It does not sound like Thurl Ravenscroft. It does not sound like Tony the Tiger or the guy singing in the Grinch. But apparently it's him. He's not in the credits at the beginning either, so I don't know whether it's just someone took a guess and it's stuck on Wikipedia or what, but I don't know. I said yeah, because I remember seeing it on Wikipedia, but I don't know. It feels like if you got Thurl Ravenscroft, you'd have him in the credits. Yeah, and and the character doesn't quite have the base or the gravitas I'm used to from Thurl Ravenscroft, despite being a genie of the Ice Scepter. Yeah, I don't know. It's more mist. I don't know if mystical is the word I'm thinking of, but um, ethereal, I guess. It's like he's talking from a distance, like I'm speaking from another plane. It sounds like Real Thurl Ravenscroft trying to do Vincent Price almost. But I did not watch this as a child, but from the comments I've seen around the internet, kids who did thought this was the scariest part of the special. Not the dragons, this genie. Yeah, I agree. I didn't watch it as a kid, but just watching it today, I thought, That probably scared some kids. But the genie tells Winterbolt to stop Santa, have his snow dragons create a storm of ice and fog on Christmas Eve. That's foreshadowing, kids. But Winterbolt's not about just stopping Santa. He wants to replace him in the hearts of children of the world by delivering his own toys to them and making the world dependent on him for happiness. I love his speech with this. He wants to be great in the Santa and he'll do it by giving 
all the little brats, lots of toys, to basically then make them his slaves. Right, and then nothing becomes of it. Because Lady Boreal's a step ahead of him and his plan to make one foggy Christmas Eve, so she infuses the last drop of her human power into a newborn baby reindeer, and that's how they retcon Rudolph's nose. Yeah, it's Rudolph is the chosen one. <laughs> um, the Messiah, something. He They definitely put some of those kinds of narratives on him here with this retcon. Um, I like that, the, her, the little speech they give about, like, like she's got to show that someone will know who will know that Christmas is more than toys. It's kindness and loving warmth of a family on Christmas morn. I like that. It feels like part of that. And yet at the same time, it also feels like they're doing Lando's droid lover is in the Millennium Falcon now. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked L3. I'm very pro L3 people. So great. But I love I like so well, I love all things Star Wars pretty yeah. much. I love Solo and I love Delta. Yes. Um, and like the Millennium Falcon, we always knew she wasn't like most ships. <laughs> That's true. But then they have to explain to the newborn baby reindeer to only use your powers for good because one evil deed will extinguish the light forever. We get Rudolph's theme song to quickly recap his whole story. I was thinking here whenever, you know, we get this retcon of Rudolph and he's given all this importance as the chosen one to save Christmas and such as I, all I could think about was back to the Rudolph special. And I just said, yeah, now Santa should really feel like a dick for how he treated Rudolph. Yeah. Not that Santa knew anything about this from the Northern Lights, but yeah, <laughs> in hindsight. Seems like she should have clued Santa in. You would think. Like, hey, there's this evil ice monster out to replace you. And so I'm giving this little reindeer here the power to save Christmas. You know, maybe be nice to him. Just a bit. <laughs> well, we get Rudolph's theme song to quickly recap his whole story. A little cameo by Clarice here, whom we see one more time in pictures and never again. Never again. Mm. Frosty gets to bring his wife from the previous specials, but Rudolph can't bring his lady around. Nope. Well, Winterbold is outraged that Santa gets through his foggy Christmas Eve and we're caught up to where we started with Rudolph's nose starting to fade out, like when the batteries of a talking toy start to go and they start slowing down. He's trying to remember that condition of what would make his nose go out. Something a pretty lady once told me when I was a newborn baby. Yeah. But unlike Spider-Man, Rudolph is able to get a second wind and bounce back, and he's fine. Winterbold is very confused, and his big, scary ice genie says, he has the wonder of the Aurora Borealis in him. Rudolph's light won't go out as long as he uses his powers for good, so Winterbolt decides, well, I'll just make him use it for evil. And the genie basically responds, yeah, good luck. Not while he's near the North Pole, you're not. So the plan now becomes lure Rudolph south. Winterbolt is advised to look into his magic eye of snow for the answer, and it's basically the old Wicked Witch crystal ball that can see anywhere. And what he sees is a hot air balloon belonging to Milton the Flying Ice Cream Man, who exists and keeps his stock at the North Pole and is picking up some to take to the seashore for Fourth of July weekend. Okay, I feel like every ice cream shop should steal that backstory. Yeah, man, what if we had like the North Pole ice cream shop? Yeah. Like, make Christmas your theme, and you, you go, you got that whole backstory. Why isn't that every ice cream shop's backstory? Get on that, ice cream shops. Even if it's not, he's not making this ice cream fresh at the North Pole, people. It's just hidden in boxes in a cave. I don't care. This is great. The voice of Milton is Red Buttons. Rudolph! Hey, Rudolph! An Oscar winner from his role in 1957's Sayonara, supporting Marlon Brando. He was also in Pete's Dragon. We were talking about Shelley Winters, the voice of Crystal, who's also in that movie. Red Buttons was Hoagie, the goofy assistant to Dr. Terminus. 
Oh, and he was also in that Alice in Wonderland TV movie as the White Rabbit. Here, he's selling ice cream from a balloon. And speaking of Crystal, out she walks, calling Frosty and the kids in for dinner, but Frosty replies, Sorry, I gotta go meet someone. Rudolph says he's a million laughs. But dinner will get warm. That's okay, you can always put it in the ice stove. That joke felt very Flintstone-y, where everything has rock in its name. Yes, yes, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I, can we go back to Milton for just a second, though? Let's go back to Milton. To me, I think that Milton is, and this might be part of the reason that I thought there were more crossover characters in my memory than there actually are, because is Milton not just the Fred Astaire puppet recycled from Santa Claus is Coming to Town? It does look like him. I thought that, too, when I was first looking at screenshots before I rewatched this, because, yeah, okay, now that you mention it, I definitely thought, well, there's Fred Astaire from Santa Claus is Coming to Town. It makes sense if Mickey Rooney's in this. But no, uh, he's got curlier hair and a white ice cream man outfit from the 1970s when they used to wear those uniforms with the hat. Like in Phantasm. Like in Phantasm. (laughs) But Frosty insists Crystal join him and the kids because a million laughs. This snowman is expecting one million laughs and this balloon boy better deliver. But when we meet him, he's crying. He was fine in the balloon calling out to Rudolph, but down on the ground he's in tears because he's in love. He pulls out a poster to show off his fiancée, Lainey Lorraine, a professional tightrope walker in her mother's circus, but on what would have been their wedding day, a crooked carny named Sam Spangle swooped in and threatened to take over the circus, which is in some serious debt. They have one last big show on the 4th of July, and if they don't draw a sellout crowd, the circus will be sold at auction. Lainey will have to go on the road, and apparently going on the road is a deal-breaker for the guy with a hot air balloon. Yeah, and this circus must be in really bad financial shape if a carny is able to take him over. (laughs) Right? Now remember, Winterbolt's watching all this, so he takes a clump of snow from his all-seeing crystal ball snow eye, whispers at it, and that gives him the power to plant an idea into Milton's head to ask Rudolph to perform in the circus show to help draw attendance. Look at this guy doing Jedi mind tricks by whispering at snow. Hey, don't question Winterbolt. (laughs) He can control it all. Like, we've already seen this dude's metal and badass, and I just, yeah, he can do whatever. He can, and he does. Like, that's a strange power that I really haven't seen before. Besides, again, it's very Jedi mind trickish, but it's very specific to, like, whispering an incantation at a clump of snow from his seeing snow eyeball. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Frosty's kids love the idea. Frosty loves the idea. You've got to go, man. Uh, And I'm not sure about this at all. Rudolph replies, well, if you say so, pal, let's do it. Milton invites Frosty and his family, too, but Frosty reminds them they're snow people. They would melt down the shore. And then Rankin Bass decides to play that up by having Frosty say, you know, sometimes being a snowman makes me feel like a misfit. Y'all, it is too late to try and tie those two together. <laughs> yeah, there were times in this where they had toys and stuff coming out, but I felt like they should have had the misfit toys. Yeah. But I guess, they're with, I guess they got taken to kids. So, right, they're all over. You know. Wouldn't want to mess up continuity in no, the Rankin Bass universe. No, they all have Skype to get everybody together for a call. <laughs> but Crystal reassures him in song that he's everything I've always wanted. Everything I've always wanted. You are everything I've always wanted. And I'll never let you go. I will take deserted byways, dusty roads or cement highways. Follow you through rain or sleet or snow. We get a stop motion flashback recreating Frosty and Crystal's wedding. The snow parson is there, but no Jack Frost is the best man. They were saving the reveal of the stop motion Jack Frost for the end. Oh, I guess that's it. I'm struggling to even remember the song, and I just watched this a few hours ago. 
none of the songs of this special were particularly memorable, but they weren't particularly bad either. No, all of the songs in here, besides Rudolph and Frosty, would both show up. The rest are just, eh, they've written better ones, they've written worse ones. Yeah. But this is our first new song of the special, and there's more where that came from later. I will say that I like the stop-motion flashbacks to the, this to their wedding from Frosty's Winter Wonderland, and we'll get it again later, a flashback to the original Frosty special. And I like them, especially with the part to the original special, I like the little animagic flashbacks better than the whole specials. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) We could wrap up all of this in like a minute and a half, but we're going to drag it out to an hour and a half. So after the song, Winterbolt appears before our heroes, pretending to be a kind old man offering magical amulets to Frosty and his family, which prevent them from melting. Brandon, you watched Frozen 2, correct? I did. It's like the beginning of that. Well, Olaf, it sure was a good thing Elsa gave you that permafrost. It's exactly this. Yeah, that permafrost that gives you a slightly different look so we can sell new toys of you. (laughs) And solve a continuity problem without having to animate a flurry through this entire movie. Yeah. Also, now we see Winterbolt with Rudolph and the Frosty family. Dude looks like he's easily 12 to 15 feet tall. Yeah, he's definitely bigger, taller than everybody else here. Um, I find that the sizes of everyone in this special are a little, like, I can't, especially between, like, Frosty and Rudolph, I can never quite tell, like, what is the scale we're all operating on here? I don't know. Because Rudolph seems especially small compared to everyone else. He does. And again, he's smaller than he ended that first Rudolph special because they're using the shiny New Year model because the old model got lost or given away or something. It wasn't preserved and it wasn't made to be preserved and to reuse. So they had to make new ones. So they kind of retconned him as a younger looking reindeer. But I don't think there's much of a scale to this at all. But especially with Winterbolt, before we hadn't really gotten any sense of scale for him because we've only seen him interact with a giant ice genie and a human embodiment of northern lights. But him walking up to our heroes, he's giant. But Frosty's kids immediately think he's a fairy godfather because Rudolph had just finished saying to their dad, if only there was a way to make you unmeltable. And that's where these amulets come in, and Winterbolt explains they don't last forever. The amulets have a design with four-letter Fs on each. Yeah, F, F. F, F. Frosty language. The four Fs stand for final firework fades on the fourth. And that's a weird way to explain it, but that's when their magic runs out. And the Frosties have to be back home by then or else that's when they'll melt. And you think that's going to be something that Frosty's going to forget about. He doesn't. But that's it. Winterbolt doesn't even give his name. He brings the amulets. No one bothers to ask what he wants in return. And he pieces out, disappearing in a wintry gust. Yeah, it's this very Faustian kind of deal that Frosty makes. And, you know, kids, even as a kid, you know, oh, this won't be good in the end. <laughs> well, back at his place, Winterbolt does his snow whispering trick on Santa this time. It works on Santa who offers to go with them and be essentially Frosty's designated driver so the kids can see the fireworks and then taint them back to the North Pole in his sleigh before they melt. Brandon, I don't like what this special says about Santa, that a long-distance Jedi mind trick works on him. Well, this special, definitely, and I would say that probably, not the whole Rankin-Bass universe, but at least the Rudolph specials, downplays Santa. Santa is inconsequential to Christmas, Without Rudolph, like (laughs) Rudolph is the deal. So the fact that Santa is able to be so easily manipulated, it kind of gets him off the page out of the picture. Um, I'm not surprised. Like Rudolph is definitely the hero when Rudolph is on the special. Absolutely. Santa Claus gets his own little specials. You can be the hero of those. He's got to take a backseat to Rudolph. Indeed. 
We then cut to the circus as Milton returns and we meet Lainey, voiced by Shelby Flint, who's a singer-songwriter. Oh, Mama, isn't he wonderful? He's the greatest ice cream man in the world. Are you familiar with Shelby Flint at all? No. I was not. Joni Mitchell has actually named her as an inspiration. You can kind of hear what she's talking about. Lainey sings Rocket Around the Christmas Tree later, and it totally sounds like Joni Mitchell. Her IMDb credits are mostly for soundtracks, including songs in The Rescuers and that song from Snoopy Come Home, Do You Remember Me? Only two acting credits, this and another Rankin-Bass special, The Stingiest Man in Town, which I'm doing this season, so more on that in the future. But I haven't seen that one. That's their Scrooge adaptation. That's what I was wondering. Yes. So Lainey's mother... And the circus is hoping to not be former owner Lily Lorraine is a tall and buxom, even for Rankin Bass cowgirl in an equally tall 10 gallon hat, voiced by Ethel Merman. Oh, forget him, honey. There's one thing life's taught me you can't live on banana splits. Who's another one who's been around forever. Forever. And even if you don't know her work, you know she's kind of a big deal. Yeah. She's one of those names that. Like, even when I could not think of anything off the top of my head that I knew Ethel Merman from, I knew Ethel Merman. Right. I know Ethel Merman from Annie Get Your Gun, but on Broadway, not the movie. Yeah. But she became so iconic for that role that they made a movie for her to star in called There's No Business Like Show Business. That's essentially her song. It, beca- it like, got retconned into her song. Sort of. Yeah, and I also know her from The Muppet Show. Of course, yes. Her character here, Lily, and tell me if you see it, reminds me of Yukon Cornelius, but a cowgirl. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Like, Um, even down to the Yahoo! And she fires a gun instead of throwing a pickaxe. Somebody should get those two together. They should. Between that and if Yukon were a woman, she would totally look like Lily. Yeah, and there is a part you were talking about her being very busty um there's a part later where she walks a tightrope and i was shocked that she was able to do that (laughs) again no sense of scale here everyone's kind of disproportionate (laughs) even on their own bodies it's it's weird Uh, (laughs) now when we saw that flashback of laney and milton's would-be wedding she seemed supportive but now she's telling her daughter i forget him you can't live on banana splits (laughs) I don't know. I'd try. <laughs> it's worth a shot. Yeah, fruit, dairy, put some nuts on it. You'll have some protein. Boom. But she quickly changes her tune when Milton introduces them to Rudolph and Frosty. Lainey is so happy. She and Milton share a kiss, and their mom covers it with the camera with her hat. That was a cute gag. And Ethel Merman gets the honor of singing our Christmas in July song, Every Day is Just Like Christmas. Christmas in July seems early for a holly holiday in this world of her. It's really short. That's another thing about these songs. All of them are just one verse and they're out, which surprised me considering they're already making an hour and a half movie. Yeah, I think it's almost like they realize, like, look, writing original songs has not been our strong suit in a while, (laughs) but it's part of our deal. So we got to do them. So let's just let's get them done with. Let's crank them out. She does sing a few more songs later, but... I definitely feel like they could have done more with the music in this. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there, besides the original Rudolph special, I'm not sure if there's any standout Rankin and Bass songs that are original songs. I mean, the ones in Twas the Night Before Christmas stand out for me. Yeah. But, like, those are the only ones I can think of, the ones from from Rudolph that became kind of like Christmas standards that you hear outside of the specials. Like you'll hear silver and gold played at the mall, you know? 
Yeah, they, well, and, and the thing is, a lot of them have songs that are already established. Frosty's Winter Wonderland only exists because they got the rights to Winter Wonderland. Yeah. There's a special called The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold that only exists because they got the rights to Christmas and Killarney. Do you know which one's probably my favorite that's not from Rudolph? What's that? There's that rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, yeah, they were good. That song, that special had good songs. That and Twas the Night Before Christmas, and that's around the same time, and it had the same animation style. So 1974 was their peak in songwriting. Well, back at Winterbolt's lair, he's preparing his snow dragons to create another blizzard to keep Santa away from the circus now that he doesn't have Rudolph to guide him through it. And believe it or not, we have a credit for the snow dragons. All they do is roar. Make yourselves ready, my pretties. But that roar is a familiar one. You might not know the actor by name. It's Candy Candido. Born on Christmas Day, 1913, Candy Candido was the go-to voice actor, especially for Disney, if they needed an animal to roar. If you could hear that stock sound of of a lion or a bear roaring, that's Candy Candido. Uh, or if you needed a character with a very deep voice, but more gruff than Thurl Ravenscroft, like the crocodile captain of the guard in Robin Hood. Attention, everyone. Oh, uh, yeah. Or the Indian chief in Peter Pan. Uh, yeah. That's him. Okay, I can totally hear the crocodile. He was also not linked on the Wikipedia page. That's oh, the reason really? I didn't look him up. Look him up. I guess because he's uncredited, but I see him on the Christmas wiki page. It's definitely his roar because, again, it's that stock animal roaring sound that you hear in all the old Disney things up until maybe The Lion King when they decided, let's get a microphone on a real lion and make this happen. We'll return after these messages. would like to thank you for taking us into your homes. We wish you all a happy holiday. We continue now with Rudolph and Frosty. Anyway, now Winterbolt's plan also involves finding a sort of bizarro Rudolph, an evil reindeer which he finds beyond the forest of the burnt Christmas trees and the hill of the broken baubles. Who is naming places where Santa dumps his trash after Christmas? Well, that's where Winterbolt finds the Cave of Lost Rejections, and in cell number 13, we meet Scratcher the Evil Reindeer, voiced by Alan Sues, a regular from Laugh-In, who gives Scratcher this personality of Ugh, Rudolph, don't even mention that name. I was all set to be one of Santa's reindeer when he came along. Indeed. Santa fired you to make room for Rudolph? Well, I also stole some toys and ate a whole new batch of candy canes. I love Scratcher. Yes. He is my favorite thing about this special. (laughs) He's just like this drunk reindeer who hates Rudolph and he definitely fits in that stereotype of the queer coded villain from old movies. And it, I mean, it's still it's trotted out sometime now, but it's definitely a big thing in older, especially animation around this time, especially yeah. like it's not quite over the top Paul Lind, but Alan Seuss is kind of close. Yeah. Um, but there was one thing whenever, I think about Scratcher that I wish they had. I wish that he was Firebolt. Oh, Fireball. Yeah. Fireball. Sorry. Oh. Winterbolt. Fireball. <laughs> like, he kind of has that, like, blonde top, like, hair, kind of like Fireball. And so, you know, Fireball clearly thought he's better than Rudolph, and then we never hear from him again. And he clearly didn't make Santa's team. So, I'd, like, I just thought, oh, it would have been cool to, like, tie, make this be him all grown up. And he's still holding a grudge against Rudolph. That would have made this story even better than it already is. 
I really like that idea. I'm kind of bummed they don't use it. And I know the reason they don't use it is because I've seen Fireball little plush toys around. Even though he turned into a jerk super quickly, they exist. Well, Scratcher, his backstory is he was fired by Santa for stealing toys and candy canes, which I guess at the North Pole count as office supplies. <laughs> Embezzlement. Yeah. But he blames Rudolph because Rudolph exists. So Winterbolt recruits him to lead Rudolph astray. And we cut to Santa and Mrs. Claus packing for a summer vacation. Mrs. Claus here is played by Darlene Conley, who was a daytime TV star. Papa, I haven't had a summer vacation since... Can't remember when. Appearing on The Young and the Restless General Hospital, most prominently on The Bold and the Beautiful as fashion industrialist Sally Spectra, who's an important enough character to get her own Wikipedia page, but this is not my wheelhouse, so I'm just going to have to take y'all's word for it. No, if it was Days of Our Lives, I probably could have told you about it. Watched that with my grandma my whole childhood. Didn't see but that. We didn't. We watched NBC soap operas. Oh well, they take off with only four reindeer and get caught in a snow dragon storm, which has grown into a cyclone that forces Santa to make an emergency landing in its eye and hoof it the rest of the way, very very slowly. I think I commented on how slow Santa's sleigh moved in Shiny New Year. Take that, but they're walking very slowly and gently on the ground. Meanwhile, the circus rolls into whatever town they're in with a parade, and Lily gets to sing again. Don't let the parade pass you by. Live living it up till you die. Always be happy and keep in step. With the times that change and change your life when it needs rearranging. And again, I feel like it's more filler than they could could have just scrapped it and made this special a bit shorter but i keep forgetting they wanted to make this a movie watching the parade from the crowd is scratcher who finds and joins forces with that crooked showman sam spangles are you sam spangles the circus man how can i be a circus man without a circus portrayed by a legendary voice actor we've mentioned here before don messick who was scooby-doo and papa smurf and boo-boo bear and the list goes on Here he's doing a cocky New York accent. And if you go back to the first Easter rabbit, he's using that same voice he did for one of the other rabbits in that. I want to say Whiskers. Yeah, I remember that rabbit. Yeah. Scratcher then catches up with Rudolph, who knows him, acknowledges they've never been friends, despite Scratcher laying it on fairly thick. And when Scratcher claims to be starving and looking for work, Rudolph immediately goes, well, we can use more roustabouts to help with the tent. Dude, don't go offering jobs to people you haven't seen in years and were never friends with. It's one thing to recommend, say, a colleague you haven't worked with for a long time but feel comfortable vouching for, but... This guy's a felon. Or a con. That <laughs> um, you just admitted you're not friends with. Also, rest about. Kind of a problematic term, Rudolph. Let's get a better term. He probably learned that word from Lily because she uses it later. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I will too. It is it is the 70s too. Yeah. Well, Winterbolt, satisfied with his mystery plan, hops on his sleigh, pulled by snakes. We get it. You're a Slytherin. I, you know, first of all, why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> but I love that they call them rain snakes. <laughs> yes, they're he he makes like <laughs> like that cocky villain who's like. Why use reindeer when you can have rain snakes? And he's very happy with his own joke. Yeah, I was too. That's guy. one of my favorite jokes. <laughs> yes. The delivery makes it. And one of the weirdest things about this special is that in all the weird things, the rain snakes, the weird image. <laughs> um, in my notes right here is where I wrote, I'm only halfway through this. Oh, man. <laughs> So it's a long special, people. It's a long special. Well, it's time for the big circus show. Frosty and the family ride out in elephants and belly whop down a ramp. And Rudolph's backstage, a scratcher comes by and asks him to get something from Ms. Lorraine's office because it's too dark in there. But Rudolph doesn't want to miss his cue for his big act, burning off fog from a fog machine. I will say it's a nice fog machine effect. 
they threw in there in between the stop motion. But then he flies out of the tent. Flying should have been the act, not dispersing fog. At least fly through the fog. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of your thing, Rudolph. He just stands there and does it. Rudolph meets Scratcher at Lily's office and whoops, it's a setup. The thing he said he was looking for is a suitcase full of money earned from that night's show. And Scratcher feigns injury from a fall and asks Rudolph to give it to a cop waiting by the corner. Well, okay. This is like a bad after school special. Because cops always collect people's money and take it to the bank for them. Yeah. (laughs) The cop waiting by the corner is Sam Spangles in disguise. But first, back to the circus show to fill time we didn't really need to fill. And I would honestly rather they trim some of this and put in more commercials. But movie. Well, apparently there is some stuff trimmed out of the version you and I watched. Really? I don't think anything too significant, but there was cut Clearly made from the AB, ABC Family Airings, which version that I watched on the inter, on the archives. Yeah, that's what um, I watched too. It was huh. recorded from ABC Family, so I assume it had the cuts. Well, but the circus gets a Christmas-themed finale with Milton dressed like Santa, Frosty's kids in a choir singing "I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day." That we didn't need. Here's where Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree comes in. That we do need. I guess. It's pretty. Rockin' around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe hung where you can see every couple tries to stop. But I thought that the thing that comes the thing that comes down out of the ceiling or wherever. Yeah. The top of the tent with uh-huh. all the carolers singing. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It reminded me of the candlelight processional yes, at Epcot. That's exactly what it reminded <laughs> me of. The, the singing Christmas tree. <laughs> they were like all in that Christmas tree arrangement, yeah. holding candles, singing. I was like, I've seen this show before. People, if you happen to be in my neck of the woods in Orlando around December or even November these days, uh, go to Epcot, see the candlelight processional show. It's great. Uh, in World Showcase. It is phenomenal. It tells the Christmas story. It's a celebrity who re- who reads it usually. Um, and they get a lot of great names. Neil Patrick Harris is a regular that I've seen. John Stamos. I, I saw Jody Benson. Oh, wow. I saw it. It's Jody Benson. And wow. we were, like, on the third or fourth rows. We had very good seats. And very good. I mean, I love all the stuff they do at all the different parks yeah. for Christmas at Walt Disney World. But Epcot is my favorite with the Christmas around the world stuff in World Showcase. And then the Candlelight Processional is like the star on top of the tree. Epcot is absolutely the underrated Christmas one. I feel like it's gotten more attention now that the Osborne lights had to go away from Hollywood Studios to make way for Galaxy's Edge. I miss those lights. I understand, but I miss those lights. I do too. I wish they would bring them somewhere else in the park. Or in the resort, you know, whether, like, I heard rumors at one point that Disney Springs might get them or something. Just anywhere. There's got to be a place for them. I'm sure someone's Or something about like it. them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I always liked, my wife and I would go and stand under the lights and listen to that Big Bad Voodoo Daddy song from <laughs> Phineas and Ferb's Christmas Vacation. And we would have had a drink of the spiked eggnog earlier and we would dance to... Christmas is starting now under the lights (laughs) with the soap snow. I've heard that song played in church once. That's a good Christmas special. That is. I got to put that on the list. Yeah, I'll talk about that one. Well, the show ends and everyone's getting ready for the fireworks, but no sign of Santa yet. So Frosty's getting worried. He asks Lily to stop the fireworks, but too late. She already lit the main fuse to the pile of 100 fireworks. Very neatly organized and numbered. And all of a sudden, Frosty knows how to count. How many are there? Exactly a hundred. That's number three. I'm counting, I'm counting. Two specials making jokes about how he's new to being alive and can't count. And now he's got it. And making jokes about now he knows how to count. Yeah. I remember when I could only count to four. Frosty and Crystal are stopping short of straight up telling their kids they might be about to melt. 
But they give them the old, we need you to be very brave for us speech. And oof, that one hurt, Brandon. Yeah, this right here, when Frosty is counting down to his death, it's it's not as well done or as impactful as the incinerator scene of Toy Story 3. <laughs> but it definitely is along the same lines. It does hurt. Like, that's something you never want to have to tell a child. Well, here's when Lily goes to get the money to give to the real cop to make a night deposit. Like, you get... That's security people. That's a different badge, Rankin Bass. And then Winterbolt arrives with his snake sleigh and properly introduces himself to Rudolph and Frosty this time. He offers to keep the magic of Frosty's amulets ongoing as long as Rudolph keeps his nose extinguished. Rudolph in disbelief tries to light it, but he can't. So this is where I question the whole retcon of how his nose works. Yeah. She said an evil deed would put it out. She also told him a thing that has not been in the previous sessions that he can make it light up by thinking, is it happy thoughts? <laughs> That's... Or, I think I think she uses a different word than happy, but, you know, good thoughts, basically. Yeah, it's, it's pixie dust. Yeah. But no, you're not far off. But why does being stupidly gullible and unknowingly assisting an evil deed count? Yeah, I was very frustrated by this, too, because Rudolph was clearly not trying to be unkind. He had no idea what he was doing. He was trying to be helpful. So I feel like you expect Winterbolt to be conniving like this and get you. But the fact that um, Lady Boreal's magic didn't stand up to that seems fickle. Just a bit. Winterbolt finally reveals Scratcher and Spangles tricked him and blackmails him into taking the blame for stealing the money if he wants to save Frosty and his family from melting. So he tells that to Lily right in front of Frosty's family, right before the hundredth firework goes off. They're saved, but everyone's mad at Rudolph now, who won't explain why he stole money and won't let Frosty tell anyone either. So the deal with Spangles was if Lily Doraine couldn't make her back tax payments, he'd buy the show at auction on the 6th. They put on a show the night of the 5th, and it's just Rudolph getting booed because his nose doesn't light up anymore. Like, why bother putting him out on stage after that? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's when he should be doing the flying. I assume he can still fly. He can. We see him fly later, but... Yeah. Too depressed. Rudolph sings a sad song called No Bed of Roses. We get a montage of photos, and he's got signed pictures of Clarice and Father Time. No bed of roses That's how life seems to be No bed of roses No easy way for me And he does a weird thing where he sticks his nose in glitter to try and make it look shiny as he looks at himself sadly in the mirror. Yeah, it definitely is like Rudolph Scarface moment. (laughs) That was my first thought. I'm like, what's happening? Oh, is he trying to make it shiny again? Let's go with that in the children's movie. Well, now it's Frosty's turn. Winterbolt wants to take him down, too, so he can't help Rudolph. The Ice Genie tells him Frosty's magic is in his hat, and Winterbolt's plan is to steal the hat and create an army of evil snowmen. I kind of wish we got to that part. Yeah, an army of evil Frosties, like, that sounds pretty cool, honestly. They really should have seen that through. I know it's a lot of animating, but they did the little mirror effect there. They could have pulled it off. Winterbolt asks what he can promise Frosty for his hat, and the genie's like, lie to him, idiot. Or I'm here thinking, just just take the hat. You're twice as tall as he is. You can just yoink right off his head. Rudolph gets a visit from the Northern Lights and hears Lady Boreal's voice telling him to be brave and defend the helpless and his light will return. And then he's walking along the beach and he runs into Big Ben, the clockwork whale from Shiny New Year. What are you doing here? Strangest thing. Like I was led to you. I was under the water, following the glow of the Northern Lights. Came up to get a good look. And there you were. Yay! Still voiced by Hal Perry. 
He literally has to say, remember me? I work for Father Time. He was following the Northern Lights, and that's how he ended up there. So Rudolph explains everything that's happened to Big Ben, who just kind of goes, eh, neat. Well, I'm going to South America now. <laughs> My planet needs me. And away he goes. I know why it makes sense now, because I read ahead, but that made me laugh out loud and almost wake up the rest of my family because I watched this very late at night. <laughs> I like the Big Ben. Big Ben show makeup. Big Ben is definitely my probably my favorite of the characters from Shiny New Year, a special that I don't particularly care for. But like I said, I really thought there were more characters like him that kind of show up in this. Um, which is part of the reason I was always kind of the Avengers of the Rankin Bass universe. And I mean, it still is that you have, you have the big ones, you know, Rudolph and Frosty are there, Iron Man and Captain America. So they could have brought some of those last years back. Bring back Ben Franklin, 1776. Yeah. You already got Paul Freeze. Well, meanwhile, Winterbolt snow whispers the idea into Frosty's head to trade his hat and his life to turn Rudolph's nose back on which we know he can't do, but there's the rub. And Jackie Vernon gets a song. Now and then will you think of me? Not, I hope, as a memory. I'll always love you as I always love you. This is his first time singing in a Rankin Bass. Oh, yeah. That did not occur to me. And it's his last thoughts before his death going to Crystal. Frosty died. I've got to say props to Rankin Bass for getting dark in this one because Winterbolt does end up just pretty much taking the hat, gloats to Rudolph about it, and flies away just before Crystal discovers the lifeless corpse of her husband and has to hide her children's eyes. Yeah, pretty... Grim. And it doesn't stop there. This is when Rudolph finally gets his angry eyes and chases after Winterbolt, who sicks his snakes after him. And again, it's hard to judge the scale of the snakes until we see one wrap around and try and constrict Rudolph. They're huge snakes. Yep. But Rudolph flies around and gets the best of the flying snakes and then winds up his hoof like a bull and rams into Winterbolt to knock the hat out of his hands, just tackles him, and that's enough to restore the light to his nose. For a, what, 15-foot-tall wizard? He didn't put up much of a fight. Yeah, I feel like most of the villains in these specials are always very easily defeated. Disappointed in you, Winterbolt. We cut to next morning, and Crystal the kids, the Lorraines, and Milton are all mourning around what's left of Frosty as Sam Spangles tries to clear them out of there when Rudolph shows up with the real cop who explains what happened, returns the money to Lily, arrests Spangles, returns Frosty's hat, and we get a happy birthday! Yeah, Frosty basically dies twice in this special. He does! And they teased it early on, but we get Frosty joining Rudolph and singing, We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? That's where we fit in. Which is interesting because at the point this aired in 1979, the regular Rudolph special had cut that song and replaced it with Fame and Fortune. So... I feel like a lot of people watching this as kids, this is the first time hearing that extended part of the song. Yeah. They change up a few of the lyrics so it makes sense for Frosty to sing it because he is not an elf who wants to be a dentist who quit his job. Why am I such a misfit? I am not just a nitwit. There's no man like a snowman. Why don't I fit in? Yeah. Well, Winterbolt appears with his ice scepter and Lily just goes, my turn, and shatters it with her guns. I don't mean she shoots it. I mean, she literally throws the guns at the scepter and they break it. As 
they say, like, she's there, like, Mama, there's nothing but blinks in those. <laughs> right before she yeah. throws them I know, but the guns are made of iron. Well, they had to make sure Lainey lets all the parents watching know that those guns only have blanks in them. Yeah, and that they're not about to actually fire guns and shoot somebody on Rankin Dude, pass. you already... <laughs> You already put guns in here, but no, this is better. <laughs> Just throws the gun at the scepter, shatters into a million pieces. And apparently the scepter shattering turns Winterbolt into a tree, which we haven't heard before. And he helpfully tells us now aloud as he's turning into a tree, as he groans, I turn into a tree. Which I guess it's helpful because he doesn't look like much of a tree. But that clears up the storm that grounded Santa, who can finally get back into the air. But it also means the amulets don't work anymore. And as you mentioned, Brandon, we cut to see Lainey crying over the Frosty family's puddles. Which means she witnessed it just like Karen had to watch Frosty die. She had to watch a whole family of Frosties die. All of them. Even the kids. The women and the children, too. But wait, remember when Big Ben suddenly peaced out for South America? That's because it's winter there in July. So he's returned with Jack Frost. And it's the 3D model of the character. With Paul Freeze's voice and everything. I've got to aim real carefully, or I'll give calls to all the kids on the beach. Well, here goes. He kind of half unmelts Frosty and the rest down to their chests. Like if you ever accidentally left out a carton of ice cream and put it back in the freezer to try and save it, that's what they look like now. Yeah, it's just like little hand puppet versions of them. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! We don't have legs, but happy to be alive again. And here comes Santa finally to bring home the Frosties all the while with Jack just blowing in their faces to keep them alive. And that's it. We end with Rudolph staying with the circus until they're out of debt, which isn't long because Santa lent her his special corn feed that makes animals fly. So here's Ethel Merman belting out Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in a flying circus parade from the back of a giraffe. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose and if you ever saw it, you and we made it. There he goes, back in time to be with Clarice. We did a... <laughs> well, there's one thing that I forgot where it comes up in the special. There's the one image that sticks with me from this whole special that kind of sums up its charm and its weirdness is Frosty with his big old round butt riding little Rudolph. <laughs> yeah. While Rudolph wears a Christmas tree hat for some reason. Why not? Any final thoughts on Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July? Look, it's my favorite version of Frosty in a special that has its moments, but is two-thirds too long. At least. It is very long. Again, it is the longest. It's longer than Rankin Bass's other movie. I like looking at pictures of this more than I probably do um, watching it. Because like I said, I love the design of Frosty in this one. It's hard to say I recommend it. I mean, it's not one that gets aired on TV a lot. Um, I think it gets like one of those early morning cable airings some years. But if you've never seen it before and you're into this stuff, it's you definitely need to see it because, like I said, you wouldn't watch the first three Iron Man movies and not stick around for Avengers. It is absolutely worth a watch. It is absolutely very long. But most of it is strong, uh, even though it ends super quickly. But it wraps up very nicely. It's a nice send-off for this particular Rudolph, and this particular Frosty. Uh, and I'm glad we finally got to it here. There's still a lot of Rankin Bass left to go for this podcast, so please stick around for all of those gems and all of those dirt beneath the gold. But 
For now, Brandon, if people want to be your designated driver so you won't melt, where can they find you on the internet? Well, you could find me on Twitter at BrandMed or on Instagram at Blessed or the Geek or on my Star Wars podcast with Patrick Courtcamp called Star Weirdos, available wherever you get your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you once again for taking this insane journey with me. Always a pleasure, Brandon. Same, Mike. I feel honored that I have gotten to do the entire Frosty and Rudolph saga with you on the show. Appreciate it. Well, y'all can find show notes for all the tangents we went on at adventcalendar.house. Please say hi on Twitter at adventcalhouse. Be back in a couple of days. For now, enjoy your Independence Day. And for Brandon Medley, from the back of a flying giraffe, this is Mike Westfall saying, please watch out for that icy patch. Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network, located conveniently at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in, which is odd because I set up this microphone just to record. I'm Tim Babb from the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to join us every month as we talk about the traditions, the music, the movies, the food, and the fun of the merriest holiday on Earth. Plus, you'll help us answer some questions like, what is the greatest version of Jingle Bells? Bing Crosby. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. What is the best Christmas food? Well, everybody knows that one. Hey. <laughs> Imaginary listener, it sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. Can you be quiet? If you give away all the answers, they're not going to listen to the show. All right. Sorry. Anyway, that's the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. New episodes on the 25th of every month, wherever you get your podcasts, or at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. And we're the Ghostbusters. Well, now that we've introduced ourselves, uh, can we use your phone?